0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, and more. You can also catch us at Pinal Central, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword Skewed, which is a network of newspapers uh, that we uh, do game reviews for. It's something like 22 papers now in 11 markets. You can catch us at Sci-Fi Radio. You can catch us at lots of syndicated places such as N4G. We have our Skewed and Reviewed magazine. And then on top of it, we also have um, BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. They're on a bit of a hiatus now, but we will be um, resuming segments soon. So I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael. And we've got a lot of stuff to cover. So we wrap up QuakeCon. We're moving ahead, and uh, we got a lot of gaming stuff coming out, and the news this morning uh, was rather interesting. We've been hearing rumors that Starfield would not be playable on the floor at Gamescom, and this kind of got me wondering, hmm, gee, uh, this is a little close to release. I'm curious why they're not taking uh, advantage of that. Well, lo and behold, this morning we get news that the game has gone gold, and that the preload is going to begin for the Xbox consoles uh, tomorrow. Uh, And uh, on August 30th, the Steam uh, PC preloads are going to begin. So when it launches, everyone will be up and ready to go. So, uh, Michael, we'll start with you. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, and I've heard that review codes have started to go out, too. So I think that's pretty – I think that pretty much – Falls in line with what I was kind of thinking. in advances. I I think it's so close to release. They don't want to do a demo at Gamescom because really it wouldn't be a demo at that point. The game would be um, pretty much about to go. So I think the whole point was they want to keep all the first impressions and everything kind of close to their vest, not kind of let things out uh, of the bag too soon. And in general, I think they're just looking to have a, a, a launch, you know, like any other launch. I again, I thought. Um, Gamescom was kind of an interesting take, anyways, because that kind of game, much like Oblivion or Skyrim or anything, is hard to demo. It's not the type of game where you jump in and play a character, right? Or like a like a level. Um, it's it's a single player experience. It's one where you it's very tailored to your um, creation, and they're not going to ha- want to have people creating characters or running a stock character through a, a stock area. Now I don't know if Um, They had done uh, Skyrim or any of those, or Fallout 3 or Fallout 4 in the past. Uh, But I think this game is a lot like those, where a demo would be hard to do any kind of justice for a 10 or 15 minute kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. I think there's a good point. A lot of good points there. Justin, your take,
2: please? Yeah, I think Michael makes a really good point. I've never really thought about before, but it's just not really the, the format where you can sit down and play like, you know, maybe maybe you could do like one dungeon or something. I mean, I, I know there's no, probably no like dungeons in the traditional sense in this particular game, but um, uh, you know, a base, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, kind of like you know what Mass Effect had, where you got like a base on a planet or something. Maybe they could do something small like that, but but yeah, given that you know the game's coming out in a few weeks, um, it would. Only, I know that sometimes games, uh when they release, if they release right around a big trade show, they'll, they'll just show basically the, the finished product. They'll show the finished game or, um, you know, so I guess that would be possible, you know, just as like a last minute, like, Hey, this is, this game just came out. If you're, if you're still on the fence this is what it looks like. But, you know, I think Michael makes good points. It's just, it's so close to release that, you know, might as well just release the game like normal. And then, um, you know, uh, just focus on having a good, good release because that's the other thing that a lot of games struggle with these days is having a, having a release where uh, things go smoothly and you know people can actually play it. So uh, hopefully that they're putting a lot of their effort into that. And yeah. I'm not,
1: I'm not entirely. Um, I still partially think that they might drop it early too. I think they might be holding that a bit close to their chest, but they, I could certainly see them saying oh, hey, well, the game's going to be released a week early or a couple days early. Or, heck, we might even see, um, when they when they talk about it at Gamescom, hey, it's now available for uh, for release. So it, it could even be one of the things where they're potentially going to surprise us even sooner than later with the release of the game.
0: It does make you wonder, because this is quite an early preload. I mean, I've usually only seen two to three days before release, not this far uh, in advance, but it's I think it's a pretty decent thing. Now, speaking of Gamescom, uh, Jeff Keighley has said that this year's Gamecom, uh, Gamescom Opening Night Live is less about announcing new projects, and it will focus on updates as to some of the big games that are coming. So there's been a bit of a debate on this, and uh, some people are saying, well, that's not exactly... Um, You know, an accurate thing, because in addition to things like Starfield, uh, we've got the new Call of Duty game. We've got uh, Spider-Man 2, uh, Modern Warfare 3, as I mentioned, lots of other stuff. And then, of course, any people are saying there's actually a lot of games that have been uh, on the chart that we haven't had an update for in ages, not to mention DLC. Some people think this is more about uh, tamping down expectations, because if you remember for Summer Game Fest expectations were through the roof and then people felt that some of the reveals were uh, not as epic as they had been expecting that time of year. You know, the E3 mega reveals and all of that. Uh, So Justin, you take this one. What do you make of that?
2: Yeah, no, Gamescom is kind of one of those particular shows where, you can have some years where something big gets shown, but it's typically not nearly as big as E3. So I think it's smart to kind of tamper expectations. Um, You know, every now and then you might get a big, like one big game or one, one or two big games shown there. Uh, I remember, you know, way back in the day, I think Diablo three was maybe shown off at games.com. um, Like, you know, right after it was announced or like, maybe they announced it there. Um, You know, Metal Gear Solid four, I think was a big games.com game, but generally speaking, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit smaller, but I don't know. Maybe the dynamics have changed a little bit, just because it. Back in the day, when E3 was really the biggest trade show, it didn't. Gamescom was kind of awkwardly situated where you had G, or, uh, E3 in June, and then a couple months later you had Gamescom. So it's like, how much more if you if you were sh- saving all your big reveals, uh, how much more would you have to show in in a couple months? But um, so I guess maybe it's possible that. There's a few things that held off Summer Games Fest, and they're ready to show, um, show off now. But um, I'm not really expecting there to be a whole lot. You know, like you said, I, I think uh, not not to like throw anything negative out there about Jeff Keeley, but he does have a tendency to to kind of hype things up um, for a lot of the events he's a part of, and then um, it it turns out you know, I, I know that, you know, part of it is his job. Like, he, he has to get people interested in these events. Um, and he has to be kind of coy about what is and what isn't being shown there. Um, and so part of this is that, you know, people kind of build up in their in their own minds, like he'll say something kind of vague about uh, a company or a particular person might, might show up. And then people kind of like, run with it and start reading into um, reading too much into it. And then, you know, expecting way too much. So I'm not expecting a huge show, but maybe one or two games that we're not really expecting uh, might get shown off there or or revealed there. Um, But we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see in probably like what, two weeks.
0: Yeah, that's about right. Next uh, week actually. So uh, Michael, what do you make of all this?
1: Yeah, I I think this is getting become kind of an industry thing this year and it could just be that there's a lot of projects that are still on hold, and we've we've kind of had an epidemic in previous years where a lot of it, things were announced and a lot of things got canceled. And I think there's still some of that where um, the industry is still pivoting a bit from uh, COVID, pivoting a bit from uh, some of the financial um, hits that some of these places have been taking. So I think there's a it's more of what can we show that's going to be coming in the near future. It may not be this year, but I would say within the next um, you know eight eight to ten months probably, stuff you know projects that are well, you know on their way to being released within that time frame and have you know something to show for it. yeah, I think there's I think there's a a, switch, a kind of a change in the industry where uh, for a long time, they would announce all these big projects and then they'd all get canceled, right? Or we would never hear from them again. Or, you know, five years down the road, we'd hear from them. And I think we're, they're trying to keep more current with what's what they know is coming out, what's in development, focusing on games that maybe wouldn't have got a lot of focus, you know, when there's a big announcement, and then kind of going from there. So I'm not too surprised by this. Uh, again, I think there's still a lot of... Um, of, you know, focus on what's coming out and just driving those projects to completion. Um, There's still so much up in the air with, um, you know, various, you know, production companies being taken over or or merging with other companies. And a lot of projects that they're working on get canceled in that process. So I think it's just about what do we have to show that's going to be available that we know is coming out and maybe look to see some, you know, new announcements maybe next year at some other show.
2: You
0: know, Justin hit on it really well when he talked about the timing of this because it used to be, okay, we go to E3, we get all the big reveals, we get all the hands-on, we've got all the gaming information that we need, and then things got really quiet. And then Gamescom would come out, and generally speaking, you didn't get a lot of anything new, and it was kind of the mentality of, this is for the folks in Europe who couldn't you know, fly out to los angeles and do the stuff couldn't qualify for an e3 media badge whatever the case would be but the bottom line is if you were a european-based journalist as well as the public let's be honest they are they were invited and this was your chance to see these games without you know having to go through all the trouble and going to los angeles a few weeks after that you would get pax west which was okay this is the chance now for a u.s based audience to see some of these games up close as well as a deeper dive. You know, Michael, you remember very well those E3s where it was essentially you got to go in a back room and watch uh, some select video or someone playing it, but you couldn't play it or you couldn't ask a lot of questions because it was essentially that's how the appointments work. Come on out, watch the presentation, go out on the floor and look at some other things, and then move on to your next one. PAX gave you the opportunity to have more one-on-one time with the developers Uh, playable builds, that sort of thing. And as we've talked about many times, this is a whole new ballgame. We don't know what we're getting here. All we know is that we're getting this new stuff. Uh, You know, We're obviously going to get looks at Alan Wake and all of that. Are we going to get announcements? Because let's remember, they have been using a lot of their announcements for the video game awards. And this is kind of one of those things where we're right now going, the stuff you're getting to hear about now is what they're targeting between now and the end of the year. What point do we start to pivot and start getting excited about this is what's coming next fall, this is what's coming um, next summer? That was would usually be the video game award. So I don't know if anyone's going to make a triple A reveal about something now. It would be mainly like indie companies coming out going like, for example hey, this is the new Warhammer game that's coming or you know, one of the next 12 Warhammer games that's coming or uh, whatever they decide to do with that. So it'll be interesting. But um, for those looking for the exact information, we were actually asked to co-stream on it. And it is going to be Tuesday, August 22nd. So next Tuesday, uh, timing is going to be... Uh, 8 p.m. CEST, 7 p.m. BST, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. So, Tuesday morning, 11 a.m. live from Germany, and uh, we know that uh, they have confirmed this, at least, I I hope I'm not giving away too much uh, in my in the CoStream application, but Alan Wake 2, Crimson Desert, Assassin's Creed Mirage, Black Myth, Wukong, and more. So, that's what they are mentioning. So, we'll have that to look forward to in the meantime gentlemen let's pivot over to the world of entertainment uh, film entertainment and now we're hearing that film financer tsg who've invested about 3.3 billion dollars in over 100 films uh, for 20th century fox 20th studio including the avatar sequels apparently they're suing disney under a breach of contract claiming that their Hollywood accounting, as they call it, has cheated them out of hundreds of millions of dollars. They've mentioned that in a self-dealing situation, Disney diverted Fox Films from lucrative HBO licenses to put them on Disney Plus and Hulu, which boosted those platforms, but denied them from getting uh, the full share of money. So, uh, you know... We'll wait and see how it all plays out, but usually uh, this is an interesting thing, because I remember Chris Carter twice sued Fox back in the day, if I remember. I know one for sure. I believe it was twice, because on both instances, they sold the reruns of the uh, X-Files to their own uh, own networks, and he alleged that, hey, they sold them at a friendly deal far less than uh, they could have gotten on the open market, and it cost me millions of dollars, so they settled out of court and then apparently went and did it again so uh justin we'll start with you what do you make of this
2: yeah this is kind of a curious uh case here um I, it's hard to really predict with how this is going to go but i guess my initial impression is it it seems to me it'd be really hard to prove that this was like a deliberate action um on the part of disney to um you know, undermine these particular projects. Uh, I, I get, you know, doing every th- a company doing everything, exhausting every opportunity to recoup costs that, uh, you know, maybe of uh, projects that didn't really go their way. And maybe they had different ideas as to what platforms these movies were going to be released on. But um, to basically say, like, you know, this was a deliberate action to, on part of Disney, of them knowing that. Um, they weren't going to do as well on Disney Plus, um, as like some kind of effort to, you know, salvage Disney Plus. I feel like that's just a very uphill battle to prove, um, you know, especially to like a, a layperson. Um, basically, the regular person is going to look at it and say, okay, well, what's what's really the difference between HBO and, and Disney Plus? Uh, would it would it really have made much of a difference at all? Um, so I, I'm curious to see what the argument is, but my initial impression is I don't think this will go super far.
0: yeah, it's it's an odd thing. that's an odd thing. Uh, Michael, go go ahead and let's uh, get your takes, please. Okay, I guess Michael may have stepped away for a second there. The trick with it is that you have a situation that is just very awkward because the argument's going to be... Um, Michael uh, said he'll be back in a second. He just had a sound uh, glitch, so we'll get that straightened out. Uh, basically, the, the problem with the situation like this is it's all it's, a, it's upfront money. It's a case of let's just throw a number out there and say that Avatar... Uh, the Way of the Water, which I do know made the rounds, but let's just use that as an example. Let's just say HBO said, "Hey, we're going to give you $10 million for the rights to stream this thing for six months," and uh, they were like, "Yeah, we're good with that." And then all of a sudden, "Oh yeah, we're sticking it on Disney Plus, and uh, here here's two million dollars." And that's kind of the whole argument is that you took less by putting it on your own than you could have gotten on the open market. And you did this to make sure that you had an advantage because you wanted to be able to say, if you want to stream the new Avatar film, the only place you can get it is right here. So, ah, crazy, crazy. That's just kind of the way the world works. So let's move on to another topic. And uh, another one I wanted to talk about, Justin, is that... Uh, Hasbro, they've been very, very busy. They sold their E1 division to Lionsgate for about half a billion dollars. and um, But they, of course, it didn't include things like Transformers, Dungeons & Dragons, so on and so forth. And uh, apparently, they are working on their own film and television division that is going to be focusing on things like Peppa Pig, Transformers, Dungeons & Dragons as well as G.I. Joe, Nurk, Play-Doh, Magic the Gathering, and My Little Pony. So what do you make of this? Because they've already announced that there's an animated Transformers 1 film and a Paramount Plus Dungeons & Dragons series in the works.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's uh, definitely a bunch of, a lot of interesting projects that are being worked on. Um, I'm kind of curious to see where they go with it. Yeah. Anything in particular in that uh, mix that you'd be interested in? Um, Probably the Dungeons & Dragons uh, series. I'm I'm kind of, um, you know, especially with Baldur's Gate coming out um, and kind of into uh, the Dungeons & Dragons, um, you know, world. So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, what they do with it there.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It seems like you just have a lot of... uh... Michael, are you uh, able to hear us now?
1: Yeah, I can hear you guys now.
0: Sorry, No no problem. So the the two things we needed your comments on is that, number one, Disney um, has been sued by one of the financiers uh, who alleged that they passed up lucrative options for things like Avatar that they had in place with HBO Max to put them on their own platforms. And uh, the second part of it is that Lionsgate has got their own uh division going right now that is going to focus on film and television with franchises like dungeons and dragons uh now to say lionsgate excuse me hasbro uh because they had sold uh, a big chunk of their assets e1 over to lionsgate but they've kept things like peppa pig transformers dungeons and dragons magic gathering my little pony and they are doing a film division a film and tv division around that so just wanted to get your take
1: yeah, so I'll touch on the Disney part first, and to Justin's point, I think a lot of what the what their allege the allegations are kind of speculative, right? They're they're making the assumption that one streaming platform is more lucrative than the other, and and it might be, right? You might have more more reach if you if you go across uh, different streaming platforms, or if you hold them to a specific streaming platform. But again, I think that's presumptuous to assume that. Um, reaching a broader audience would necessarily, you know, across a a specific platform or platforms would necessarily bring in more money. Right. I mean, what they could say that, Oh yeah, you, you sold, you went, instead of going to HBO max or you went to Disney plus, or instead of going to Hulu, you went to Disney plus, whatever the case may be. But again, that's the assumption is that the, the popularity would be, um, greater on one platform versus another or would have more opportunities. And again, maybe it would if you, sp- if you spread something out across multiple platforms, I guess the assumption is that that would hit a broader group of people and potentially, you know, be a lot more lucrative for a company. But again, it's hard to prove that was done in malice and it's also hard to prove that, um, that, that would have an impact on the, on the bottom line, which I think is what they would be, um, what they're suing for. So, so again, I think it's, it's easy to say, you know, Oh, well you were going to, you, you promised us that it, you would stream it across as many platforms for this met, like the time. And you only went to these platforms or whatever. Again, how, how much at the, at the end of the day, how much of that is going to be a difference? I don't know. I guess that's why I'm not a lawyer, but, um, as far as the Hasbro launching their own home media, I know Hasbro had the hub, um, which was a, um, a contract they had with Discovery. Uh, and they, they were some of the ones who had produced some of the best content, I think, um, at that time when it was the hub. Um, you know, My Little Pony, Transformers, um, a lot of these IPs that have really kind of blown up all kind of got their start on the hub when it was, you know, in, a, in their current forms anyway. It's not necessarily going back to the 80s, but in their current uh, revisions. Um, and and I and I like the idea that Hasbro is maintaining some of their own IPs, Dungeons and Dragons in particular, um, to potentially utilize that as part of their own media group. Uh, I, again, it gives them greater control, which you know some could argue limits the um, the the ability for other, for other takes on the brand. But I think when a, when a brand like Hasbro has their own control. Uh, it allows for them to, like Disney, to maintain a certain standard that maybe wouldn't be up to snuff if they were doing it with other companies. Uh, so, again, I think that's uh, pretty exciting news. I'll be curious to see um, what comes of it and how successful they are. Uh, but generally speaking, that gives us more uh, of, of, of Transformers and, uh, you know, G.I. Joe or My Little Pony or Dungeons & Dragons, uh, you know, franchise type stuff and allows them to maintain that creative control. I think that's probably a good thing. So we'll see where that goes.
0: Yeah, I think and that's going to be the key because we're kind of in that quiet mode right now where we're waiting for some positive news out of the labor situation in Hollywood. We, we understand the writers are talking. There have been some new proposals exchanged, counter proposals, and You know, the the word I got is the latest meeting was mixed, but I kind of look at that and say, that's positive. They're not walking out They, You know, apparently the studios did uh, pitch an idea that at least got some traction. So now they're going back and forth. So at least, you know, what I'm hearing is they, it genuinely does seem like both sides want to try to make a deal now. And so that's a good thing. We can get our film situation moving. We get our TV situation moving. But as we pointed out, Our focus is on gaming, but if you look behind the curtain just a little bit, you are seeing a lot of maneuvering right now, and you can see the wheels starting to turn. Like, uh, you know, I I saw someone uh, said to me, well, if they're going to salvage any kind of fall TV season, they need to get a resolution in the next month or so. And I said, well, that's possible, but, you know, look at it like this. We've had strikes before that have delayed the start of new TV shows till October, with streaming now, we see shows starting whenever they feel like. They aren't necessarily I know broadcast TV is is a thing, but look at the data that came out last week. Broadcast and you know cable is no longer uh, the dominant viewing platform. They are now below fifty percent of uh, people's viewing habits. So you know, we've seen shows debut in November in December before. And I think they're going to just simply take an approach and say, look, uh, when they're ready, you know, we're not going to sit here and push to say, oh, we've got to have everything out by the end of October. I could see networks saying, hey, you know what? So we don't take the big break right after the first of the year. I mean, obviously, they don't put new stuff out during the holidays because people are busy. But, you know, that rating, that break that comes right before the February sweeps, I could just see them saying, hey, why don't we just make this launch week? But. Who knows? Lots of stuff, lots of news. I did want to mention Babylon 5, The Road Home, is out on DVD. And uh, lots of other good stuff coming. And folks, that'll wrap it up for now. We're going to have a Gamescom recap next week. And until then, everybody, take care.